the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. This episode is the second episode of a two-part podcast series on adapting to climate change in Scottish agriculture. In this episode, I speak to beef specialist Robert Ramsey about the practicalities of adapting agriculture to climate change. Focusing mainly on livestock agriculture, we look at some of the challenges that livestock farmers in Scotland may face in the future and how to make their businesses that bit more resilient to the changing climate. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Robert. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Seamus. Thanks for having me along today. Um, I am Robert Ramsey. I work as a beef specialist for SEC Consulting. Good stuff. So what do we expect the impacts climate change are going to have on farms and farmers in Scotland? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, all the figures, all the suggestions are pointing towards you know more extreme extreme weather events. You know, higher higher rainfall in the winter, uh, or warmer, wetter winters, and and warmer, potentially drier summers as well. So, a mm-hmm. uh, extremes are probably the the most the thing that would have the biggest impact on on farmers. Yeah. Extreme weather, be that droughts, floods, uh, and and a change. You know, away from seasons. Gone are the days that we had uh, four distinct seasons. We now have. Um, very random weather events happening throughout the year. So that leaves mm. all farm businesses fairly exposed to climate change. You know, they're all going to be impacted in different ways. Have you already been seeing this happening in Scotland? Like I know myself that I've anecdotal evidence of farmers talking about seeing kind of more localised heavy rainfall in parts where like, you know, one farmer will see uh, they'll get a lot of heavy rain one over the space of like two or three hours. And then you go talk to a farmer three miles down the road and they had a dry day, completely dry day. And there was, you know, no rain at all. Do you, are you seeing any change in the climate from your, yeah. in your anecdotal evidence? Like it definitely. And, and anecdotal is the word because it, it is opinion and, and personal experience, yeah. but there's, there's no doubt in my mind anyway, that, our, even in, in my lifetime, so I'm 32, and in my lifetime, I think the, the weather we're, we're receiving has changed. Not yeah. all bad, I have to say, but uh, certainly with regards to rain, it seems to be that now when it's we, I'm in the southwest of Scotland, so it rains a lot, mm-hmm. and we get a lot of wet days. But we we now when it's raining, we do get significant rain event rainfall events pretty regularly so you can see um you know getting half an inch or an inch of rain in a a few hours it used to be a freak event and now now it happens fairly regularly and and it's those days that really we can deal with wet weeks it's Mm. the it's the massive deluges of rain uh, that can really cause big problems or or acute problems for for farm businesses um but no there's no doubt that 
the weather patterns have changed or the way the, the pattern of weather is an awful lot less predictable now to uh, making things like if I go back to you know my father when you speak to, to dad about the past I think maybe everybody mm. has rose tinted glasses on but it sounds yeah. as though in the 60s and 70s it never rained in July and August you know it was he mm. season all the time and, and although it's tongue-in-cheek and I'm sure there was always wet periods throughout that that time as well there's a, a definite shift so we've, we've moved from you know in the early and, and mid 20th century everybody was making hay and successfully making hay we mm. got to about the 80s and and he disappeared he he stopped really being a, a a major part of our industry in 1985 but if mm. you look at what happened in 1985 um in in Ayrshire, the, the rainfall was about Forty inches, and we're routinely getting in excess of fifty inches now. So there was yeah. the the worst year on record, apparently, or the the worst year in our living mem- living memory, and it's actually much. We're, we're getting more rain now than we did then. So it's, there's definitely a, a change in in, in weather. Um, yeah. What what was the kind of the abnormal year? back then is now the normal year for us. Another thing that's interesting is particularly at this time of year, so in my job as a a beef consultant, obviously talking to farmers and talking about cows is is what I do. Mm. Um, What many people have mentioned in the last few weeks is the grazing period in the autumn. So it was, it was standard practice almost to have a, young beasts to have you know yearling heifers and and a lower priority groups grazing outside up to new year and beyond and now housing i mean the vast majority of herds are housed by certainly by the first week in november so that Mm -hmm. that window of of extended grazing is getting more challenging to get so when when we talk about that, then when the the increased rainfall that we're seeing, or these even these increased extreme events that we're seeing, what are the actual impacts of that on the ground on farms, and how can farmers try and build resilience into their farming systems to these changes? Yes, yeah, so basically, I suppose our farms are we're, we're farming soil, aren't we? So, um, mm. and. and water holding capacity the amount of water that that ground can can stand is finite so there comes comes a point where a ground becomes saturated and then we can really do nothing with it we can't a cultivate it we can't graze it we can't you know there's a that's the the end point really um and the more rain we get throughout the year the quicker we get to that saturation point and and the more time when we get later into the year the longer it takes for it to dry out again as well so naturally that these wetter periods in the shoulders of the season are condensing that that grazing period but there are strategies there and we talk about rotational grazing a lot from a production benefit point of view so installing a it doesn't even need a, a paddock system it just needs some rotation to give ground a bit of a rest and if you go with the theory that for cattle if a, a short sharp poach is better for the ground it's not ideal but it's better for the ground than a prolonged constant poach you know cattle always Mm -hmm. on that ground so if we can move things off and grow a bit more grass behind them give ground a bit of a rest you've then you're developing quite a resilient strategy there to to extend that that grazing period or or 
get the grazing period back out to what it what it used to be. So rotational grazing is one thing, and and we're also seeing a lot of people where possible getting back into subsoiling and and a you know improving soil structure and improving drainage on farms too so yeah some of the stuff that is reducing carbon emissions is also making us more resilient so by subsoil and draining spreading spreading lime and growing more grass we can actually um not only improve our carbon credentials but also um benefit you know the, the farm will be in better heart and and therefore more productive and, and have a, a longer grazing period or productive period in the year. Yeah. And, and are you seeing much of this like rotational grazing, liming, people looking at drainage again? Are you seeing a lot of that happening? Yeah. Um, so I, I started my job in a 2011 um, mm-hmm. and you don't often look back, you know, it's been a, a, a great, I've got a, a really good job and it's been a, a great, my career has been a great journey. But if you look back at where, where the industry was when I started, it's only only ten, coming up on 10 years. Um, yeah. It's amazing how much things have changed and, and farmers, I think, have got, so first and foremost, we are farming as a business. It's an, an economic, each farm business is an economic unit and we're, we're there to try and make some money. Um, So that's at the the forefront of of everything that we do. But certainly with that in mind, you know, those efficient businesses, financially efficient businesses are also carbon efficient and also pretty resilient businesses too. So Mm. uh, things are developing and things have changed in the the last few years. And certainly rotational grazing or, or better grazing management is certainly occurring. We're spreading more lime and, and that's partly due to in the kind of again middle part of the 20th century um industrial agriculture start really took hold and nitrogen became very cheap so nitrogen fertilizer yeah. was actually a cheaper option than spreading lime and they do a totally different job but nitrogen was the, the green paintbrush that that probably papered over the cracks whereas mm. lime is what we should have been doing and, and there's now a much better understanding that actually we need to rather than just firing on nitrogen and, and taking the grass that, that that comes we want to properly feed the soil properly manage the soil and, and balance the ph and uh, all the other minerals and elements that go with it so um yeah there's, there's a, a big change there there's an awful lot more lime lorries on farms at the moment and mm. uh, yeah there's a efficiency is really at the, the forefront of everyone's minds now and particularly with a, a changing subsidy environment and a, an uncertain future, you know, those most farmers are really striving to be as efficient as they possibly can. Yeah. And and you mentioned a lot of different things there, you, you know, kind of nutrient management with, with liming and, and stuff like that uh, and the rotational grazing. But if, if, if I'm listening to this and I'm kind of saying, I want to start to improve my nutrient management. I want to get a bit of lime on, or I want to, um, I want to look into the possibility of rotational grazing on my farm. What would you recommend the farmer do then? What, what would be the first couple of steps? Yeah, so the first steps, I suppose, are to, are to speak to somebody if, you, if you're unsure of something. If you know exactly where you're going to go, you know, get on and do it. But um, I think speaking to somebody and that that doesn't need to be an expensive consultant or mm. um, you know it can be a neighbor it can be a friend it can be through the farm advisory service or uh, there's a lot of a lot of help out there 
um, to, to start to develop that plan because often the biggest issue for your business, if, if you're always working in the same business every day, you don't necessarily see the biggest problems. You see the problems that annoy you, but not necessarily the ones that have the biggest impact. So often a fresh set of eyes is a, a good place to, to start with, probably with any problem. I think that, that's a, not even a farming thing. That's a life thing as well. A, a fresh pair of yeah. eyes uh, is, a, is a really good help. Um, but when it comes to nutrient management, the place to start is definitely you know, with a, a soil analysis and, and, and also dig a hole and have a look at soil structure and, and what's what's actually going on below the, the surface. You know, the although we're growing a crop on the surface, it's what's happening down below that really um, is the engine room for the whole business. So uh, yeah. finding out what's happening both physically and chemically down there is really pretty important. Yeah, getting out with a spade and um, doing the the visual evaluation of soil structure is really, yeah. really important. It probably can't be can't be underestimated. And then getting the soil samples and, and speaking to someone is probably the best way to start on that one, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, so another, the, the, that, that's kind of the, the wet weather side of things covered. But you also mentioned then when it comes to wet weather, you mentioned uh, housing that, that you've seen or that it used to be common that certain livestock could be could be outwintered or near you, but that's becoming a thing of the past now. So does that mean that housing is becoming a more important thing and what changes should people be making when it comes to housing or uh, where are we on that? Yeah, so it's a, a really a big topic and, and mm. to be fair, to go, to go back a step, the, the outwintering thing is probably increasing. There's a, a lot more people looking at forage okay. crops and looking at, you know, different options to keep cattle or keep, keep cattle and sheep outside and off grass. So things like fodder, beet, kale, turnips yeah. there's a lot of a lot of stuff on the go out there but on a, a fairly conventional farming operation there's certainly going to be animals housed through the winter um yeah. vast majority will have, have housed a uh, housed cattle and, and many will now house sheep as well so the the shed itself is the you know it's a lifeline to the business it's the thing that really allows so the, the stocking rate through the winter is the limiting factor. The, lim, lim, the mm-hmm. winter carrying capacity of any farm is the lowest number of stock that the, the farm can carry. And then obviously the, what it can carry through the through the summer is a, a great deal more when there's a lot of grass growth um, and really opportunity there. So, so by having housing and sheds for cattle, we can massively increase the, the grazing pressure for the summer. You know we can carry a yeah. lot more stock on that farm, so we definitely need them. Need them there. We need a, a housing system, but a it is a it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. You know, there's there's um, significant challenges when it comes to housing, and, and the farmers amongst us will all, will all know that and understand that this end mm. of the year, particularly, is the the kind of pneumonia end of end of the year. So if you put um, a lot of cattle into a building with poor poor ventilation, you're you're going to lead lead to, or that's going to lead to a you know health challenges and and welfare yeah. issues for cattle, so and sheep. Um, but there's so much now we can do, so much more understanding with shed you know shed design that can actually help that. So uh, things like open ridges um, and open sides as well. So many people now when they're building a shed, they're really just 
building a big umbrella. You know, it used to be we would box them in as much as we possibly could, often with bricks right up to the top of the eaves and seal the ridge and create basically a bubble of stale air with, you know, very little airflow. Now, Mm -hmm. new sheds are are often open-sided, open-ridged, and that allows plenty of air to come in in the sides and the stack effect, so the, the the hot air coming off the cattle then leaves the building through the, the hole in the roof and draws more air in through the sides. So it's um, airflow is critical um, to basically everything we're doing with, uh, with housing stock. And particularly if we're looking at housing stock at those challenging times. So if you're looking at yeah. housing September, October time when it's still very mild, that's when we've got a real a real pressure on the system. So if that's the position we're in, you need to have extra care, be extra cautious when it comes to shed design. And also mm-hmm. designing your new shed is, uh, you know, it's a nice job. Everybody enjoys doing it. And generally we get that bit right. But in the past, there's been a lot of badly designed sheds out there and we're working, we're still working with them. And that that's, you know, that they're, they're uh, useful to have, useful in the system. But there's, a lot we can do to an old shed without spending a lot of money. There's a lot we can do to improve the ventilation in, in those sheds. And, yeah. and it can be as simple as just pulling sheets off, opening things up, taking some bricks off the walls and, and knocking or taking the ridge out too. So um, there's, there's heaps to talk about there. But what I think the most important thing, again, back to talking to people is yeah. don't do too much stuff. So taking sheets off the sides and things is fairly, um, you know, it's a reasonable thing you can do yourself. If it comes to being on a roof, I think personally, my view is you pay somebody who's good at what they do to do that type of job yeah. rather than have a, you know, a, a farmer attempt at it. And, and I mean, joking aside, you can quite easily land up uh, with a fatality and a, a major uh, on-farm issue. So I... Mm. Um, health and safety has to be health and safety is more important than animal welfare in, in this instance so it's a uh, make sure whoever's doing the jobs equipped to do it skilled enough to do it um, but certainly seek seek advice with shed design uh, both new shed and and old sheds as well um, and make yeah, sure you're doing I, the best you can i think it's probably one of those things where if, if you're thinking I'll, I'll get up on that roof and i'll i'll do something and you might think it's a great idea, but you'll go out to your neighbour and say, oh, I'm going to go up and do that. And it's, uh, you shouldn't be up. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just getting that second opinion of saying, w- w- you know, that that's risky. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe just get someone to do that for you. You know, I think um, everybody that f- has fallen through a roof has had the thought before they went on the roof that I, I know it's dangerous, but it won't happen to me. And mm, so yeah. bear in mind that it, it's as likely to happen to you as it is anybody else. You know, it's not a safe place to be. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's when you're when you're changing, doing something to a shed where there's any even even taking down a wall and stuff like this. I think it's probably best to consult with someone on safety before before you go ahead and, and do anything on anything like that. So we've talked about the how to manage kind of um, land for for wet weather. We've spoken about how. Uh, housing is important in making sure that and uh, livestock are healthy and looked after. And um, if if we've got to have if we're going to have these longer housing periods, um, the other bit that we mentioned at the start was these drier 
summers and uh, warmer summers and the kind of potential for maybe drought or high temperatures. How can we build resilience into the farming system for something like that? Yeah, the, I think the thing we've we often hear it that we would you know you'd rather farm with too much water than than not have enough water you know too mm. much water so the, the kind of common complaint in Scotland and and it's a real challenge but um, the lack of water and and to be fair the last two early summers we've really mm. experienced that particularly this year in in the east coast there was a significant drought and and it things were really getting fairly, you know, it gets fairly tight, fairly quick when the rain stops. And um, I, personally, I think the, although the wet winter is a challenge, the, it's something that we've, we've basically been dealing with for, you know, all our lives. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a Scottish thing. It might be a bit wetter, the winter might be a bit longer, but we've dealt with it before. The drought is a mm. new and emerging issue in, in Scotland and, and certainly two dry summers in a row or two dry early summers doesn't mean that that's how, exactly how it's going to look. But if we assume the dry summer issue is the the kind of going to be the nearer the norm, we do have to adapt our systems pretty dramatically for to, to account for drought, um, particularly yeah. in those you know, I, I think where I am, we could get very complacent, but in, in Ayrshire, I, I, I think, you know, a dry summer tends to suit us really pretty well. Um, but if you go through into the borders and in, into the East Coast, you, you're not you're not long until you come to places that are not well suited to drought at all and, and are likely to have significant drought issues. So uh, yeah. certainly those guys are needing to have a, a real look at options and, and what they can do. And it's it's really all about planning and, and management and, and you know forecasting where you're going to be in a few weeks time so if particularly you know grass and crops would be the big issue cattle and sheep perform well when it's dry you know there's with the sun on their back a they don't need a huge amount of dry matter to keep them to keep them right so you mm-hmm. often see cattle running in in fields that are pretty bare but they're shining they're really thriving that obviously happens up to a point, but then there's, there comes the point when there's there's nothing left, and it's really just it's dust after that, and they don't do very well on dust. So, um, so managing that for the, the longer term, term drought situation, um, it, it's really being bold enough as make some big decisions. As you know, there's yeah. the, the the business we're in, we're never going to be in a, a position where you would want to go and irrigate grass or where you would a do anything anything like that the only thing you can do so we can't if we can't increase supply uh, by irrigation or by by feeding the thing we need to do is reduce demand so actually it's things like early weaning and that that can be very early weaning for sheep um to reduce the demand on grass uh, and then also selling the in order of importance from the least priority um the, the lowest priority group should be sold off farm as, as soon as possible if, if drought is is likely to be an issue for for longer term feedstocks. Um, yeah. But but it's really budgeting, planning, and and understanding where where this is going to leave you. So uh, the example I suppose is many drought ridden farms were actually got through the summer pretty well. The rain came in at the right time and, and things were okay, but their forage stock, so their silage supply and their straw supply is really low at the moment. So actually yeah. 
the drought's hitting them the most in the wet rather than in the dry. So uh, in the heat of battle, everything was fine, but fine. But the the lack of forage is the issue. And, and the really resilient people amongst re- resilient businesses uh, amongst that group are the ones who went out and bought some fodder at that time, stocked up on a mm-hmm. uh, on whatever they could get hold of and then probably as well planted something in the autumn so planted some forage crops planted some some catch crops to try and grow a bit of dry matter at the tail end of the season that they can then graze off just now to you know yeah. to, to increase supply so there's there's a lot of stuff out there that you can do but basically s- sitting back and hoping it'll be okay might work mm. There's no guarantee it'll work, and if you're if you do something to try and mitigate it, you're going to be in a better place than if you do absolutely nothing. Yeah, if you've got a, a, a plan in some plan, some form of a plan in place, it'll 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 help you if and when the time comes that you'll need to act on it. Yeah, um, and, and I think to have a it's never going to be a thing that you can have a written document as to what you're going to do in a drought situation because every drought's different every farm's yeah. different you know it's really about rolling with the punches and and a trusting your system trusting yourself and trusting your stock while also mm-hmm. planning the how we fill that forage hole and how we reduce demand um yeah. throughout it so it's an interesting one so another thing another kind of aspect of that uh in these like in these dry times where whether when you have livestock out and it's it's really hot sun has beaten down long days how can you try and um kind of take the pressure off livestock in when they're out in in that heat yeah the shelter and shade and water are the the biggest things you know those it's sometimes a challenge of rotational grazing paddock type systems you know you're you're shutting a certain animals into a small area and it can often be very you know very exposed to the sun beating down and things so the having some form of shelter having somewhere that they can go to to get a bit of shade is quite important but more important yeah. than that's a reliable water supply so and a, and a really reliable water supply that massively oversupplies what that group would normally need so that everyone yeah. basically everyone can go and get get a drink fulfill their needs within a pretty short period of time rather than waiting on you know if you look at the traditional not not that would ever be in a field but the traditional d-shaped drinker that's often in a it was originally a buyer drinker but often in, in cattle pens you know you're relying on yeah. the water coming through high high pressure through the hole a hole which will be the same size as the you know a ballpoint pen that's not a resilient water supply for a, a group of cattle in a in a, a, a hot grazing situation so we need to make sure there's plenty of flow and um or plenty of volume of water coming through that we can keep these animals a uh, not thirsty you know they can they can drink mm-hmm. as much as they want and, and as often as they want how so so you've mentioned kind of um becoming a bit more resilient when it comes to water there um and drought and then uh the importance of making sure that you have enough water for livestock in the field and uh a bit about shade if 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 a farmer is listening to this and they're saying right i'm i want i want to make sure i'm resilient on those on those fronts what's the first step what what should they do 
Um, I think resilient system, I think the upgrading of water supply is the most important. And I think that that's not even just due to drought, hot weather or anything. It's it's just down to simple grazing management. You know, if, if the, the better water supply you can get and probably a, you see more people now moving to a flexible water supply as well, where we can plug plug troughs in at, at different points along a line uh, and and adapt, you know, change the yeah. paddock system round about the water system. Uh, so I think, yeah, the, the water really is the, generally it's the biggest limiting factor for any, any grazing setup. So having mm-hmm. a real, you know, belt and braces water system would be, would be where I would start uh, if I was looking yeah. to improve resilience of my whole, probably my whole grazing business rather than just uh, the hot weather end of things. Yeah, great. So you mentioned there about, you know, climate change, having that, uh, these uh, more water, kind of warmer, wetter winters. Though, when 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 you talk about warmer and wetter, um, that'll probably mean that there's going to be a lot more kind of habitat for fluke. Um, is that something that farmers should be worried about? Yeah, the fluke, the fluke issue is a pretty significant issue for the, the whole livestock sector now um, and it, mm. it used to be it was a fairly well a west coast and a wet farm west coast issue and it's now you see fluke on most farms across the country now and you see it from the driest to the wettest you know that it's yeah. uh, um, it's becoming more of a challenge and, and as our climate changes we're getting wetter and milder there's less chances to actually break that fluke cycle so fluke liver flukes are a real challenge and at the same time because there's more pressure from fluke we're dozing for fluke more often which means we're then getting more resistance to fluke uh, flucicides fluke products uh, so triclobendazole resistance will be a a, a common theme on, on many farms and, and that's another um significant challenge not necessarily climate change challenge but not helped by the fact that we're having to uh, use flucicides more often so what what we are seeing is a, a really good way of of breaking that fluke cycle is actually to start housing sheep and it's a, yeah. a group of animals that we wouldn't normally think about housing you know or, or in, on most farms a uh, cattle would be housed and sheep would be outwintered but actually yeah. if we can if we can house them you get that opportunity to see see you house them for two months you've got two months that they're not outside picking up liver fluke and you then have a, a better range of products that you can use for a uh, for killing matures and uh, mature fluke and for um you know really breaking that cycle or having an impact on that cycle at mm. the same time that housing situation so you've got the if you're if you're housing them purely for fluke you'll also land up growing more grass through the winter so you've got a less pressure on on the on your fields or no pressure on your fields so they they heal up and and grow grass and you can you then have the chance to 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 turn them out a turn sheep out to grass to lamb them the the other interesting thing that people are doing again based on on milder winters and you know, if you're housing sheep and it's a mild winter, uh, or or you're, it doesn't need to be a mild winter actually. Um, so go back to, so if you're housing sheep, it's a really good uh, system that you can get into is actually to winter clip them. So if you take the wool off them, you can then stock them a oh, wee bit higher in the shed because they're not carrying all this wool. Uh, they're less likely to prolapse and they'll actually eat more forage. So if they eat more forage, they then need to eat 
less concentrated feeding. So you can actually be, you can develop quite a a self-sufficient, if very efficient system a, mm. by housing and winter clipping. So it's, it's a, a good option and certainly something to discuss. Probably if you were unsure about it, it's certainly something worth running past your vet. Is there a specific time of year that would be the optimal housing time if you're for those couple of months to break that cycle? Um, so the time to do it is probably, you know, midwinter is, is the the sensible time. So a most people would probably be grazing sheep up till, um, you know, December, maybe early January, and then that mm. that pre-lambing period. So that's also the period when you're when you're used under the most nutritional pressure and requires the most management. So if you can have it in the house, you can control what you, you can control the system a lot a lot better. So yeah, that that pre-lambing period, um, maybe up to late March would be the, the period that mm-hmm. I would be a I certainly would I would think it would fit the system and it would break the cycle so I think the important thing from a fluke perspective if you do anything to break the cycle you know you can you can break that cycle at any point and and in many cases a dry summer is also what breaks the cycle you know if, if we can have a really dry summer prolonged period of dry yeah. it helps but we really can't get complacent because when you look at basically what's happened in this area, we had a very dry um, April, May, June, and mm-hmm. then we had ideal fluke conditions from July to, to today. So there still will be fluke in the system. There's still habitat for them and they'll be multiplying all the time. So there's yeah. still major potential for a fluke issue. So don't get complacent with a dry spring. that Everything will be sorted. Um, it takes It takes a bit more than that. The other thing that helps is a you know a frosty winter also gives us a nice break. But as things have changed, there's there's a lot less periods yeah. of two or three weeks of frost. You don't often see that anymore. Yeah, it, it tends to be kind of from from again main a lot of anecdotal on anecdotal comments from farmers. It tends to be now you know one week spread out over the whole winter really yeah. um and you can't really get those few days in a row to get on and and, and do work um the, the final que- final question then so we've mentioned loads of different things that uh people should be kind of looking at to, to build resilience what's what's the first thing or what would you recommend the farmer does once they finish listening to this podcast I think after this, so I'm conscious this, it's just a podcast. It's really just a, um, you know, it's a bit of a blether. It's not a, a structured document. You know, it's a, just a discussion. So I I think if you're looking at climate change, looking at being becoming more resilient, I think more resilient, I think taking a big step back from your business is really important and, and looking at it, either you look at it or get, get somebody with a fresh set of eyes to look at where the, the biggest holes for you are, you know, where's the, if you're trying to make progress, starting at the bottom of the tree with the low hanging fruit is always the, the easiest place to go. So yeah. um, probably start with the boring, less glamorous stuff, but those things that um, perhaps the things that you haven't even noticed yet, but getting somebody to have a look and and pick up the where the a small costs and or the, the the things that you can make a massive saving by spending a little um, mm-hmm. is, is where I, w- I would start. So every business is different, so it, it's a bit of a woolly answer. But um, I certainly think having a review of your business would be the the place I would start. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Robert. Nope, thank you. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the Farm Advisory Service website 
and the Farming for a Better Climate website, where there are some great tools and tips as to how you can adapt to climate change. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to like, share and subscribe. And thanks again for listening.